Well, hello, uh, Shasha and Carol, um, proprietors of uh, Reeves Blanc in uh, Lemu. Um, I, I guess I wanted to start today and just what does Reeves Blanc mean to you and your family? You know, you've been at this a while. To, tell me, what, what does it mean? Uh, it means home. Um, it's somewhere that we came to 20 years ago. We took it over 20 years ago. And, uh, and I remember very clearly when we bought the vineyard, uh, the lawyer who did the transaction for us, he said, just before we signed on the dotted line, he said, I warn you of one thing. He was a Frenchman who spoke very good English. He said, you give this vineyard a little bit of your finger and it will eat up your whole arm. <laughs> and he's, and he's, he's absolutely right. I mean, it's eaten up our arms, our hearts, our heads, the whole lot, to the point that the, our kids, because my husband and I started this, um, it was our folly. But both children, our son is the winemaker, and Shasha here, she is uh, she's a sort of the face of Reeve Blanc and our, our strategist and, and and overall planner. So it's really it's absorbed and consumed us all completely. So it it's a way of life. Um, our vineyard is our garden, it's our home. We feel very much that we're the caretakers of it rather than the owners of it. And we're in this, as you will remember, this really, really uniquely beautiful place, you know. Uh, right, right now we're in lockdown because of the coronavirus. But uh, if anybody is in splendid isolation, it's us. I mean, we are so lucky. It's quite incredible. We do. We feel very, very grateful to be able to yeah. be working out in the fields and as spring is coming and the birds are out. And it's really a, a great privilege that we're particularly mindful of at the moment. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And also on our horizon today, it's a lovely clear day, beautiful blue skies. We've got the snow-capped mountains smiling down at us, the Pyrenees, which separate us from uh, Spain. And one of those peaks looking at us is called Rive Blanc, which means white slopes. So that's what we're that's what we're named after, actually. That's a good point, Mum, because it's so the mountains are so central to the wine that we make. Yeah, like the the very unique climate that we have here as a result of it. So we have obviously we're in the south of France. It's hot, but we have these very cool evenings, um, which means that all of our wines share this elegance and freshness. Yeah, that means that it's terroir really ideally suited to making white wine, which is what we specialize in. But it also means that we're part of a nature reserve um, because we have quite unique flora and fauna. So for us, that's really important because um, it allows us to really pursue the kind of environmentally sustainable winemaking that, that we all prioritize so much. I should add, just as the last thing, going back to the name, Blanc means white. Uh, so it's rather nice to be called Reeve Blanc um, because we do only do white wines. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's quite appropriate. So you, you mentioned 20 years, and I thought the, the lawyer's statement was, was just so great for any entrepreneur or, or business uh, owner. So how did you manage the, the, the miracle of, of getting your family involved? That's always a challenge for many. So, Sasha, how, how did that work? You're there, which is amazing. <laughs> I don't know. I think that like many family businesses and everybody who knows family businesses will know that at some point, to some degree, there's no not being involved, is there? I mean, when it's something that is so passionate and so central 
um, to the family. But I think really key here is my brother. My brother um, has, um, you know, he, he trained to become a winemaker. He studied at UC Davis as well as working here um, in France. And I think that that kind of his um, involvement in pushing the wines further and really taking on the kind of um, the vision that my parents had of the type of wines that we can make. I think it just, yeah, it's it's an infectious passion that I think it's almost impossible not to not to be drawn in as well. The fact is, Jim, we've become terribly, terribly, terribly boring people. <laughs> the, 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 I find that hard to believe. Uh, no, the only, only thing we talk about is wine. So, I mean, it was difficult for the kids to avoid it. <laughs> so, it is, it's a family obsession. So 20 years ago, or maybe 24, 25 years ago, when you were thinking about this why Lamo why what what motivated you for that vineyard what why there there are a couple of reasons um one is that my husband and I have always been great fans of Burgundy and um we the problem with Burgundy is the land there is prohibitively expensive and Limo is known by the top wine critics in the world as a place that can produce uh, Chardonnay that is, you know, um, is probably the best Chardonnay in France outside Burgundy. So this made Limo a very compelling um, place for us to visit with land prices at a fraction, at, at a fraction of the price of Burgundy. Um, at the same time, we came here, we arrived here and the vineyard found us. You know, I mean, when we arrived in Limo, we saw the vineyard, uh, we had it uh, checked by experts, um, and it was quite clear that we would not escape it. It was there, it had been waiting for us, yeah. And it's interesting because I think that the extent to which, I'm not sure the extent to which it was something that drew you in, but definitely the Languedoc, while not, you know, it, it isn't Burgundy, but there are advantages to that as well in that the, it's a region that's really full of a lot of innovation in winemaking, a lot of people who are really kind of pushing the boat out in in making wines that, you know, like we do, We for us, tradition in winemaking is very important and terroir is very important and making a wine that really kind of speaks to the place that it comes from and the history of winemaking in that area is really important. But the fact that in the Languedoc you also have room to innovate, to bring in new ideas, to just push forward in the wines that you're making is is a huge, it makes the region very exciting. It's absolutely very, very good point and totally true. And in fact, when we arrived here 20 years ago, that was the beginning of a new wave in the Languedoc. There was a palpable feeling of excitement, innovation. Uh, people have really come to learn that the mass-produced wines of the, the bad old days are not what we should be producing. Very, very many more people withdrawing from the cooperatives, more wine growers growing their own grapes, making wine from their own grapes exclusively, people like us. Um, and there were people also coming in who'd been abroad, learned other things, were coming back to run old family vineyards. There were outsiders like us who came in to start up afresh with new ideas. There, all sorts of factors all began to come together about 20, 25 years ago in the Languedoc, with the result that there was this surge of innovation and of really high quality. So when, when you arrived 
And you had to make choices about, you know, as Sasha said, the, the, the methods, um, what, and there, I know there's all sorts of ways that people produce wine from buying grapes to growing grapes to, you know, being a full estate. So why did you choose the path you chose, you know, from just having a brand to going all the way into the vineyard and all that? So what, what was behind that? For us, it started in the vineyard. Uh, it didn't start with a brand. I, I mean, we started, as far as the brand is concerned, we started from scratch, right? Uh, but the vineyard had vines that were 80 years old already. Um, and we developed a complete and absolute passion for the vines, for looking after them, for the property itself, which, as Shasha said, is in a nature reserve. We have lots of biodiversity, lots of wild animals wandering around. And for the fantastic position we have, which is on a high terrace of the river, it's sort of just absolutely perfect position for white wine grapes. So, and the farming aspect, uh, particularly the first sort of 15 years was the most exciting part. The last five years, the farming has become quite desperate in many ways because of climate change that has really affected things, made us realize that, you know, the harvest don't automatically come. But it's the farming that really um, that really drove us. And then from there, the pride of getting the best out of your vineyard, making the best wine that you possibly can, striving to make wines that are recognized internationally. And and then came the marketing and the brand, you know, the brand. Would that be a fair summary? Yeah, I think so. I think I guess it. The way that I would put it is that to a certain extent, winemaking is very kind of philosophy driven. Yes. Um, yeah. So, there is, yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, the, the sort of idea of what is the best wine that you can make, it's going to really depend on what your philosophy of winemaking is. And for us, the best wine that you can make isn't necessarily a wine that tasting it out of context would have certain characteristics. The best wine that you can make is a wine that really speaks to the place that it comes from. Yes. Speaks of it. Yeah, yeah, speaks of it, reflects yeah. well of it, kind of um, embodies the kind of character of it. So in a sense, starting you, you start with the fields um, and you work with the, the nature itself yeah. to create the product, um, to sort of shape the product, sculpt in a way the products yes. that, that, that you want to from it. Um, yeah, so in a sense, it is it is the fields that come first. It's the it's this old French idea of terroir, you know. The um, and and into terroir, I would sort of cautiously add the the winemaker and you know as well. And it's funny because in twenty, let me get the right vintage now. In yes, twenty eighteen, we had a really difficult harvest. We had hail. We had everything that could possibly go wrong, which is unusual in the Languedoc. And, uh, and particularly in Limoux. Um, I mean, we, I'd, I'd really begun to think that we had a sort of big umbrella over the vineyard and that the, the, the hill would fall <laughs> elsewhere. And, and, you know, that we, we had this protective. But anyway, we were you know, called up short there. And so for the first time in our history, we were given permission to, because you have to have a separate status in France if you buy other people's grapes. There's the status of being an independent wine grower, which is what we are, where you make your own wine from your own grapes and you sell it yourself. You do everything yourself. You bottle it the whole lot. Or you can have the status that you can buy grapes in. And we were given for the year 2018, because it was such a difficult year, we were given permission to buy some, uh, some juice in, 
And uh, so we tasted the Chardonnays that people around us in our same area. So theoretically, more or less the same sort of terroir, you know, because most of Limous Chardonnays are very fresh. They're not heavy. But the, I'm not saying that our, our wine was better, but it was certainly different. So we said no. We decided not to. So normally we would do five wines under the appellation Limou label, which means wines that adhere to the laws of this region, what you call an AOP or an AOC wine, appellation wine. Normally we do five every year, and in 2018 we did two. We found it better to not make them than to make a wine that would not reflect Reef Blanc. That is very difficult to do for many businesses to say no like that. It's, it's really difficult. And I can tell you we had long family <laughs> arguments slash discussions, or maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think it's fair to say that that our general approach to winemaking does it doesn't it, it is not the path of least resistance in terms of <laughs> what is commercially viable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that um, is definitely a major downside of it. It um, is a definite downside, yeah. Yeah, I think if I, if I were to give an example of that, I think um, a really great example is, is Occitania. Yes. Which really is, is I, I don't know if you remember, Jim, our, our, our 100% Mosaic um, still wine. Yes. Um, which is a wine, I don't know if I can tell this story, Mum. can I? But I don't know what story <laughs> Daughter has license, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really a wine that is a full credit to my mother um, in terms of uh, her kind of persistence with this idea that we should, we 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 should be making a, a wine from our indigenous. So the Mosaic grape variety, I should start by saying, is still widely. It's an indigenous grape variety to this region, very historic, dates back to the Renaissance period, um, and it is widely used around here for the Blanquette de Limon, the sparkling wine, um, which we also um, use it for. Um, but traditionally, in the past, it was also used as a still wine. And it is actually part of the appellation that you can have a Mosaic still wine. Yeah. But it, the practice had basically fallen out for largely, I believe, commercial reasons. It's just so much harder to sell an unknown grape variety than it is to sell a Chardonnay or something you know that has greater recognition and so mum from the very beginning she really said the the mosaic is it is our heritage here it is central to what we're doing we've got to make um a still mosaic and everybody said oh you'll never be able to sell it you'll never get anywhere with it and there were a few years there we where right. But to mum's credit, she really said, no, you know, we, we have to persist with this. This is because, I mean, obviously we think it's a wonderful wine, perhaps because we had to drink so much of it. <laughs> um, but no, you know, to just say no, this, you know, to, to some degree, you have to um, you have to not be led by what is uh, what, what, what is justifiable right, and instead right. see it as part of our mission to be. Um, taking forward the the great varieties and the traditions of the of the region and and kind of you know making them available for other people to enjoy and and experience. Yeah. It's ironic that the most traditional thing that we've done, which is to resuscitate this old 
and ancient grape variety is also at the same time one of the most innovative and modern things that we've done, you know. It's really, it's funny. And and this wine, I, you know, just to give it a happy ending, uh, is uh, was taken on board for the business class of KLM Air France about five times as their discovery wine. It's been the, the legendary wine critic, Chances Robinson, I think has twice taken it as her wine of the week. Uh, you know, the, the French top critics have said it's an inspiration to other wine growers. And yes, it's just using, just going back to the source, really, you know, and not being too commercial about it. So would you say that is the most pleasant surprise over 20 years or what, when you reflect on your time in Limoux and building these great wines, what what was the best thing, Carol and Sasha, so far? Well, it's, it's difficult to say, Jim. There have been so many best things, and they change as they change as every year goes by because your your uh, expectations change as well. I remember being hugely excited with the first gold medal we won at a wine competition. You know, uh, now it's not interesting anymore to us, you know, because we don't consider them so important. Um, I remember, uh, you know, when you when you have a really wonderful harvest, you know, that's the best thing that's ever happened. Or if if someone like you in Madison, Wisconsin, puts a tweet on, you know, with a bottle of one of our, our wines on their table, that's, you know, so many of the best things. That will happen again Sunday, hopefully. Uh, oh, the trilogy, yes, of course. Yeah, that's so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> that's so lovely. Yeah, but no, I I agree with you, Mum, and I I think you know going back to the thing that you were saying earlier about what bores we've become, it's so true. Because if you if you if you are here in the evening at the end of the day, in the end of a hard day working, and we're sitting down and we're preparing dinner and we're getting ready, and we we often sit outside and we have a drink and we have the same conversation every day where we say, "Isn't the view magnificent?" Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Lucky. And we all marvel at the shade that the mountains are turning in the sun. And we all really marvel at the beauty of the wine that we're drinking at that moment. <laughs> I think that in a way that is the most pleasant surprise. The fact that when you have the opportunity to just work on making a product like this, where you work on it from the beginning to the end, from growing growing the grapes to everything about bottling the wine and, and putting it together. It's just the, the, the daily satisfaction that you can get from it and the ongoing pleasure, I think. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And also, um, as, a, as a final addendum to this, I mean, there's a, there's, it's also uh, the years, the vintages, are the best thing and the worst thing about it uh, together. Because... Every single year is a new adventure. Every single year. And everyone says so, and you just don't believe it yourself until you've been doing it for 20 years. And then you look back and you say, my God, every year was different. Every year presents a new challenge. Every year stretches you in one way or another and rewards you in one way or another. Mm -hmm. It either rewards you because you've done really well under bad circumstances or it rewards you because it's just given you such a blissful harvest. Mm -hmm. It's challenged you every year. You know, there's always – and it's never, ever the same. That's why one of our wines is called Odyssey. It really is an Odyssey. It really, really is. Yeah. And that's very exciting for as long as you can sustain it. Isn't it? <laughs> True. So how about 
looking back and then forward, the biggest disappointment, obviously you arrived and, and you talked about 2018 and every year is an odyssey. You know, what, what was a big miss that you said, oh, I thought that would happen, but it didn't. Ooh, good question. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I'm racking my brains. I, I, I try as, as somebody in the software business, I think about something like that every now and then just to ponder, well, you know, why, why did that not work or why, you know, just to, not much, but I reflect occasionally on these things. I think something that I often hear you and Pat yeah. saying yeah. is that you never anticipated how hard it is to sell wine. Yes. But how much of your time uh, spent <laughs> I thought that would be it. On the selling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That just in terms of, you know, you have this, 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 this it, it's such a, uh, an idyllic job in so many ways to be working on making wine, but that the selling takes up such a large portion of your time, I think. It's something that I've heard you say before. I time. often, I often do say if I'm supposed to be a wine grower, why am I spending all my time in front of the, of the computer, you know, um, that's, that's true. <clears throat> Uh, it is. It's. It's. But again, I mean, if you get it right, if you get the right partner to work with, that is so rewarding because people that's in true. people in mine are usually very very nice people, and we, and we happen to have a shared you know, sort of topic of conversation that we like talking about as well. But um, it's we work with uh, small to medium sized importers. It's a very personal relationship we have with them. Our wines are very gastronomic. They go to restaurants. We have direct contact with a lot of the consumers all over the world. And um, but the important one for us is the importer that we get on with them, that we share the same philosophy, the same the same understanding that we support each other when times are bad for the one or for the other. And in that, we've been remarkably lucky. Once or twice it hasn't worked, and then you are indeed bitterly disappointed. And you have to pick yourself up and start all over again. That's difficult, yeah. Yeah, but it is. It's so true. The wine business is full of so many characters, so yeah. many interesting people. It is. Um, so it is, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, so thinking about that, um, let's look ahead to the next five to ten years yeah what, what does it mean to build and keep building awareness and and let's say expressing all the things you mentioned about Lemu and reef block the yes. beauty the, the wines what does that mean to express that to the world over the next five ten years how do you do that how do you think it'll change what's useful what's not useful anymore what what do you think about the next five or ten that is a huge question um, it really is. In, in the first place, I have to say, there's no room for complacency. And no matter how highly regarded your wines are, no matter how pleased you are with your wines or yourself or whatever, you have never arrived. This business has a way of putting you in the lap of gods and then chucking you out and you're mm -hmm. sort of groveling down in the sand below mm -hmm. until you're lifted again and put back into the lap of the gods. So there's no room for complacency. You can never sit back. So we know that that's for sure. We can't sit back. We have to keep doing the best we can to do the best we can. But now, who knows what shape the world is going to take? Who would ever have expected that President Trump would put 25% tax on French wines and then threaten to put 100% on? That can change the whole global picture for us. It means perhaps instead of selling in America, we should be concentrating more on you know some other market that we haven't gone to. Um, who would have thought the coronavirus would come and cripple us all? 
you know, and who knows what the world will look like when we get out of this. Um, uh, a lot of wine is going digital as a result. A lot of people are doing tastings digitally. We do here, we do a Tuesday tour, which is one of the things I love doing. Um, because it gives me a chance to walk people through the vineyard, see the vines. To, but one of my missions in life <laughs> is to show people that wine actually comes from a vine and not from a bottle, you know. <laughs> so it's, so it's, I, I enjoy it. They enjoy it. We have a lovely time. Um, uh, and they leave feeling they know a bit more about wine, and they leave me feeling that there are – People now who have more understanding of what what we wine growers are trying to do, and then you have these so, wonderful moments when they send you pictures and they're using our blanket at their wedding. Oh, or, oh you know, that, uh, I love that. I know it's just yeah, it's a really. I, I think I, yeah. I love that. I got a I got a picture from a woman whose name I didn't recognise, and it had a picture of a beautiful bride in a very pretty white gown holding a glass of blanquette and the mother had written, thank you so much for the blanquette. It really made my daughter's wedding. And, you know, I'd forgotten. We have a lot of people come by who buy wine. I'd forgotten who she was. But I was so touched by this. It was so nice. It's but, a uh, wonderful Anyway, that. so that's lovely. But people are turning away now because of coronavirus. I don't know how bad it is in Madison. Uh, but here we're in total lockdown. So no, nothing comes, nothing goes, you know. Um, Nobody arrives, nobody leaves. And a lot of people are becoming more digital. Is this something that's going to go on? I mean, being old-fashioned and old all at the same time, um, I, I still think wine is a product that to be shared and, you know, uh, with friends or with people, you know, to taste together, to discuss. Uh, how much of that sharing can you do successfully over the internet? I don't know. It's something... We have to look at, but I don't think anybody really knows where we're going but, in those terms. Right. I guess what I was getting at, because one of the great stories you told during our delightful visit five years ago was uh, you had made the trek to Madison and it was winter and the wine you were preparing to um, taste uh, at a local store arrived frozen. And of course, That's these right. things happen. And so what I was curious about, you know, from both of you is obviously that there's a just a um, how shall we say there's a uh, there's nothing like visiting in person, of course. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, you mentioned Instagram, you know, there's Twitter and then there's your website and other media, you know, podcasts, whatever. Um, given trade issues, you know, just think about air travel today versus three months ago, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. so how do you think you'll express those experiences or can you, you know, let's say the next few years, uh, given limited travel and, you know, maybe trade issues, whatever, you know, is, is it pure digital? Can, can you do it? What, what do you think about that? One of the nice things about digital, um, I think, is that it allows, yes, it allows us to share a little bit of, of the place with, with people that are not here, but it also allows people to share with us their experiences of the wine where they are. That's so, true. you know, one of the nice things, I think, talking about Instagram is it's lovely to think about um, food pairings and we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put up photos of, of, you know, meals that we, we've particularly enjoyed one evening um, with, a, with a particular wine, but it's also lovely to see other people do that and to kind of 
get that uh, that feedback and that take on on other people's experiences of the wines, and it's it's a bit more reciprocal, which I think is really lovely. So just yesterday, I saw a wonderful post about someone who'd paired Occitania with a with a kind of a, a noodle soup, a very elaborate noodle soup. I just thought, wow, I've never thought of that as a combination. And that's, I'm excited to try it. I'm excited to um, test that out. So I think that's certainly one of the advantages of the digital side, that it does bring something that you may not otherwise, that you otherwise get. But it's true. It's not the same thing as being able to, um, you know, speak to someone in person, share a, gla- share a glass of wine together and talk about it and even better have them here. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure we really have a direct answer for that yet, but it's definitely something um, that we're thinking about. Any any ideas and suggestions? Yeah, always, always <laughs> very well. Yeah. One reason yeah. I, I wanted to uh, to have this podcast actually is, is to think about those things uh, because yes, I see I see a lot of opportunity amidst the uh, the crisis. And in Madison, we are they call it safer at home, where um, you know limited movements, social distancing, but the um, restaurants and bars, some are open and you can drive by and then they will, you know, put uh, the, the meal or the wine or the beer in, in the back seat or the trunk or the hatch of your car and uh, off you go. And so the online ordering has happened. Um, and surprisingly, many of them have done, done that pretty well. Um, so it, it's interesting to watch. Um, but speaking of that, let's talk about when you're sitting there enjoying those views and 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 having dinner. Um, what are you pairing your wines with when you say, "Oh, let's have, you know, uh, Odyssey" or what? Let, let's go down the list. And what what do you what do you do, uh, Sasha and Carol? Well, we first we plunder we plunder our property. So so just about a couple of weeks ago, we were having a lot of wild asparagus mm. uh, with eggs and, and, and uh, mixed into omelettes and in various shapes and forms, um, having wild asparagus with Occitania, with the mosaic, and that that just works brilliantly. Um, my son has a very, very good vegetable garden, which is <laughs> to the pleasure of all of us, so we we work a lot from that. We have wild boar um, over the vineyard. We do quite a lot with boar, and and uh, when when you know, uh, when when the hunters give us one, and we will do pâtés and things, which we which we will also do with the wine. So we do do a lot. That is, uh, you know, that comes from here itself. Um, and otherwise, the pairing is is uh, uh, it, it's it's an adventurous thing. It's also trying out possibilities that aren't usual. This area is very well known for goat's cheese, and that goes so well with our wines. And here we tend to put a bit of honey over the goat's cheese, which just gives it that lovely little final touch, which is makes it really good for white wines. At which point I'd like to put a plea in for people to remember white wine when it comes to um, cheese, uh, rather than red wine, because particularly if you have a mixed cheese cheese board with lots of different types of cheeses, you have 90% chance of getting it right with all of them if you have a white wine than if you have a red wine. Mm. 
There, that's my message. I guess, let's see, let's, maybe we could just, I mean, if you like, we could just quickly go through some of the wines. Yeah, so, sure, yeah, yeah, please. please uh, our sparkling wines, so we do the Blanquette de Limon, which is a 100% Mosaic. Well, we should say at this point that Blanquette de Limon is, of course, as you know, Jim, I'm sure you remember, <laughs> is the world's oldest and first sparkling wine, discovered 200 years yes. before Champagne. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> <laughs> I remember your emphasis on that, Carol, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's made from Mosaic, a word you promise to never forget again. We consider it a reasonable responsibility yeah. to make yeah. sure that everybody we meet goes away with the message indelibly imprinted on their mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but so 100% Mosaic sparkling wine. Um, it's a, so it's a very... Um, uh, it's a very fresh and elegant sparkling wine, and really, mostly we ourselves drink it as an aperitif. Yeah. Um, so before dinner, um, but it does also do some nice food pairings that we like. I, I, I think one thing talking about my brother's vegetable garden is he makes a lot of uh, he has he's had a lot of kale growing. Oh, We've been making kale crisps. Oh yeah, it? that was nice. Um, yeah. Which is a lovely pairing because it's so salty and yeah. yes. um, <laughs> you know a bit greasy, which is yeah. wonderful with, with blanquette yeah. because it, it it really cuts through that yeah. in in a lovely way. Yeah. Also, I should add, it's nice because. Um, our wines are actually vegan. So some of them are vegan accredited. We haven't put the accreditation on all of them for a long and boring story that is about the the cost of the cost of accreditation. <laughs> yeah. But our wines are vegan, so it's I I'm it's nice also but half of them, more than half have the have, have it on the label. Have the, we um, paid up. Yeah. yeah but it, they are actually all vegan. Yeah. Um so uh just you know, in terms of thinking about food pairings as well. Um that's something to mention with the blanquette. And, the and I love I love a curry with the blanquette, an Indian curry, because mm. it just balances that spiciness. A spicy Indian curry with the blanquette is great. Yeah. Instead of having, you know, cucumbers with yogurt to cleanse your palate, you have a, a glass of blanquette. It's really nice. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then, uh, so um, then I, I would say also we do a, our sort of entry-level wine, our, our Van der Pédoc, our yeah. Chardonnay Chenin. It's a... A wine that uh, you sometimes call simple but not stupid. <laughs> yeah. Very easy drinking wine. Yeah. Uh, a wine that really is so versatile, I yes. think, and that's its main point when it comes to food pairings. Yeah. Um, talking about what, how, when you're out there and you 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 have the chance to introduce the wine to people, I was, um, I was doing a wine tasting in the south of the U.S. and I, I won't attempt the accent, but um, a woman with a wonderful Texan accent accent, she said to me, "I really like this wine because you can have it." Before the meal, during the meal, after the meal, uh, you know, and it, it, it just carries you through. And I, I think that, that that is certainly one to say for that one. That would be when you're really stumped or if, if everybody's eating something different, that would be the one yeah. that I would reach for. Yeah. Um, whereas our, our Appalachian wines, so yeah. we have the Odyssey, which is a 100% Chardonnay. Yeah. Um, Dedicast, which is 100% Chenin Blanc, and then Mosaic, the Occitania, which we already mentioned, 100% Mosaic. These are really gastronomic wines. These are wines that have the kind of body and personality to really be able to not just stand up to a food pairing, but also to actually really complement them. To sit down at the table. To sit down at the table with them. Yeah. 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 Um, Because they have that kind of, they have the structure and they have the acidity, but at the same time, um, quite kind of developed, wonderful fl- fruit flavors. Each of them different in their character. Yeah. So the Odyssey, 
um, I'm not sure, Mum, how, how would you describe the Odyssey? The Odyssey is one that I love with, I, I don't know if you, do, do you eat veal in Madison? Maybe not. I think it's pretty much a French thing. Um, oh, rarely, but yeah. maybe once a year. Oh, right. Okay. Well, the Odyssey is very good with white meat generally. You know, Pork is delicious with pork, particularly if there's something Swedish in it, like red peppers are cooked with it or something like that. It really goes, and or with a nice creamy sauce, you know, it goes really, really well, apart from the usual suspects that you would go for normally. Um, and then our Chenin Blanc, Dédicace, which is uh, an extremely gastronomic wine, which is a wine which is probably – the most preferred of our range by the wine critics um, rather than the consumers. Sometimes there's a bit of a, a, a gulf between the two, you know. And um, uh, But the, the dédicace, the Chenin Blanc, is just fantastic with, um, with seafood of all kinds and with Asian food, really, really brilliant with Asian food. Um, we're going to try an Indonesian rice table this weekend, and we will be having the daily, we will try the dedicast with that. So I can report on that later. The, the dedicast, it just has that. I, I, I mean, for 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 Shinan lovers, um, which we all must be included among, yes, which we definitely are. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just such a wonderful grape variety in that it has this amazing balance between incredible, beautiful acidity really kind of mineral notes, quite kind of stone uh, stone elements. But then at the same time, it has this, this the, these sort of fruit um, fruit flavours that come in. And, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a, a wonderfully rewarding wine to pair with different things, but also to age um, because the wine evolves so beautifully in, yes. in, in the bottle. And it, it ages beautifully. The different notes yeah. come to the fore at different points. So the older Chenins in particular can just be, I mean, spectacular with, with things like truffles. And, yes, absolutely. Yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. A yeah. lot of fun. And, and Chenin Blanc is, is fabulous to grow because you can it's got so much potential you can make sweet wines you can make dry wines you can make still wines you can make sparkling wines and they're all wonderful so I, you know i'm a big fan of Chenin, which is unusual for this region i think we're the only ones who do this sort of range of Chenin around here so and it's very very food friendly and then of course I, and by the way we just last week planted how many thousand let me get this right nine thousand young vines of Chenin Blanc have just gone into the gone in. So this is forward planning for, you know, several years down the road uh, when they'll be coming up. That shows how much we believe in it. And we also planted 4,000 uh, old Mozart clones from the old, original, authentic Mozart vines that are kept in the conservatory of Limoux. They have a conservatory for, for Mozart. And we planted 4,000 of them last month as well. Uh, in our mosaic field, and that is for the Blanquette de Limoux, and it's also for um, for the Occitania that we were talking about earlier. And Occitania is fabulous with any vegetable dish. Any dish, you don't know what wine to put with it, you take that. It, you, big salads with all sorts of stuff in them. Uh, uh, mezzas, you know, the, the Lebanese um, sort of little dishes of various things. Oh, it yes, just, yes. We have an excellent uh, restaurant nearby that we, we enjoy that occasionally, yes. All right. Yeah. Great. This, this is the wine for that. It's really fantastic with it. 
Because yeah. because it has this unusual character in that it is quite big in body, quite full in the yeah. mouth. Yeah. But the flavors in in the Occitania are more delicate. Yeah. Um. So you have these flavors of of pear and apple skin and and wild gorse flowers. Yes. To me. Yes. Some some sort of many of the the herbs that grow around the vineyard that yeah. in that that are just there on the side. So it has the capacity to really pair nicely with dishes that are quite big. But where the flavors aren't necessarily that pronounced in the forefront or yeah. they have particular notes that come through because it can kind of stand up in the mat or sit down, as you said, <laughs> um, uh, but without one or the other really overpowering yeah. the other. Yeah. So it makes it a really interesting food wine. Yeah. And then we go to our top wine, the one that you mentioned, the Trilogy, uh, which is uh, really our, our bit of... Um, it's it's our indulgement. It's a wine we make. It's a wine we make for ourselves, basically, uh, when we can make it. Uh, if if the year gives us the right, um, gives us the possibility to do it, then we will make the trilogy, which is the a blend of the best barrels from the best parcels, and the blend changes every year. So the the, the overall the the specific food pairings with trilogy will change every year a bit according to what the the blend is but the overall picture is it's a very fine wine i actually had um i had someone uh come here to taste wine before we went into lockdown and um he came in and with the proverbial uh sentence that makes every you know an art dealer's heart will sink when somebody says i don't know anything about art but i know what i like you know and he came in and said i don't know anything about wine but i know what i like i said that's fine you know um that's what it's all about and he said i can tell you i really like this wine this is a wine he said that i just want to sit alone and talk to it by the fireside <laughs> and I, thought, I thought gosh that is amazing I, and i Frozen. said to him I, I i i said to him i'm going to quote you and here i am i'm doing it <laughs> i'm doing it so it is a wine to savor uh you know to sit back think about it's a very complex wine and when you pair it with food, I would go for something that's really fine, like a you know a Dover sole or uh, a, a really fine match to go with it. But it also depends on the age of the wine because it ages and changes. So, so where do people find your wines around the world? What's distribution like today, and what might it be like in the next few years? We deal, as I mentioned, with uh, with importers. Right. Um, in Madison, we deal with Swiss sellers, right. uh, and um, they will they will sell our wines to wine shops, restaurants, wine bars, and um, private customers. Um, this is this is the way the structure is now. Uh, we have to see how the wine world is going to shape up afterwards. Um, this is a bit yeah. in the air at the moment. But I'm, I'm talking sort of 10 years down the road. Maybe nothing will change. As, as a general rule at the moment, you, you will find our wines in places often where there is um, someone sort of as, as wine geeky as we are yeah. who will be explaining them to you or presenting them to you. As in yeah. many of our, our importers will be working with um, small specialty wine shops or restaurants where 
there is someone who will be able to tell the story of what the wine is and kind of introduce you to it um, in a way. So that's yes. generally where you find them now. Yeah. Um, looking to the future, yeah, I'm not sure. I think any that if we can find a way that we can um, sell to people also a little bit directly performing that role of kind of or, or getting people to have the experience of, of the making of the wine in the, the, the vineyard, then, then maybe that, that could be wider. But we do definitely really value the work that's done by, by our, our, our partners who, who really kind of take the wine to, to the customer. I have to say, I, I had the impression, I mean, we had a lovely visit to Wisconsin, and I have the impression that you people there, are, which, I mean, I, I found it, uh, a really cold place, <laughs> full of February, yes. <laughs> a really cold place full of very warm people. I have to say, you know. Um, but um, what really impressed me was uh, what good food you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, fresh food, lots of farmers' markets, uh, great yeah. cheeses. You know, I remember something like Nola's Fromagerie or something and Car Valley Cheese or something. Yeah. I do remember coming across really wonderful cheeses and wonderful markets. Um, I, I also remember going to a lovely wine bar in a, in a gorgeous market called Thief Wine Bar. But this is a long time ago. And you have very good wine bars and wine shops, too. I mean, there's another one called Steve's, which was fantastic, I remember. Um, so you're very, um, you're very lucky, I think, where you are. There, there are not many cities uh, like Madison, I don't think. No, you're correct. We have a, a great food and wine culture. And, uh, yeah, there's, we have you know, Himalayan food and Egyptian and then lots of yes. local things. And, yeah, it's, it's a great, uh, great yeah. place. Uh, we, we like it. But it does I, get I, a bit cold in the winter. I, I agree. Yeah, 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 for sure. For yeah, yeah. sure. Well, because of the I'm never right. going to get in February. <laughs> right. That's cool. <laughs> but we, we very much look forward to uh, visiting again. And uh, it's oh, really fun nice. to spend time on the, on the podcast, uh, Shasha yeah. and Carol. Well, no, it was our pleasure. It's lovely to lovely to talk to to you and to to you know to feel that we're in touch with Madison again. It's really lovely. Thank you very much, Jim.